Yeah, you're stuck with me, bud. Yeah, with some intense eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. Welcome back to a very, very special edition of Liquid Gold. Mike, you got a rhyme for me? That was exciting. Uh, when our editor says cut, we say nah, roll. Welcome back to Liquid Gold. Nice. Here today finally cooling down here in nashville tennessee but we still want to crack some tecates as well as a lot of special things today here in the studio and we want to give a shout out to michael eads our producer from we own this town and we own this town.net thank, thank you so you, michael much for having us here on liquid gold find us at liquid gold underscore pod on instagram my name's mike wolf along with my co-host kenneth deadman and I think he just chugged a Tecate. So we're off and rolling today. We have a very special guest today. Very. That we're really excited about. We're going to spend the afternoon talking about film, cocktails, booze, maybe James Bond. I don't know. Mr. Pat Halloran is here. How are you, Pat? I'm well. How are you? Great, man. Thanks for coming. Thank you. The privilege yeah. is fine. Hey. Dude, this is awesome. Thanks for coming out. We've wanted to do this for a while, so this is exciting. Uh, heavens to Betsy. I hope I don't fuck it up. <laughs> Finally, a good movie came out this year, so we can actually talk about movies. <laughs> uh, Pat is the bar manager at Henrietta Red, a beautiful restaurant over there in Germantown with all kinds of delicious seafood, oysters, yeah, beverages, is. jello shots, which we're going to talk about. That'll be that'll be exciting. And he brought some jello shots today, so we look forward to talking about that. So Pat is here. We're excited. Some things we're not going to talk about today. The politics of a good fried chicken sandwich because it's just too easy. And at Popeye's they're running out of fried chicken sandwiches is what I hear. Yeah. But I can't wait to have one. I haven't had one yet. But it's, it's probably, actually it's probably pretty too, amazing too to see a line of like white New Yorkers <laughs> waiting for in Popeyes. town. <laughs> in town. <laughs> have you been to this great farm to table place we have over there on Gallatin? It's called Popeyes. You'll love it. Uh, uh, some other things we're not going to talk about today: the films of Antonio Margarete. Negative. Because it's in a parallel universe, and cocktails served in little wooden boxes is another thing we just don't quite have time for today. But Pat Halloran's here. We're going to talk about film, cocktails, all of these things. Now, Kenneth and I are relatively fresh, fresh in our uh, in our terminology, off of a viewing of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, kind of the big movie that came out this summer, unless you're going to count Avengers 26. I know that one was big too. But this was special because... Because it's and, the only one you watched of the two. <laughs> right. This was special <laughs> because here in Nashville, we have a place called the Belcourt Theater, mm -hmm. a very special movie house. Pat worked there for a long time and really helped to expand the drinking library there. Wow. So I want to get into that. But at the, at the Belcourt, they had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They're still playing it. Um, now, when this airs, I don't know. We'll update you. Uh, if they still have it, but they're showing it in 35 millimeter and it's been, it's been a hit. A lot of people have been going out to see it. It is a very uh, nuanced kind of a com complicated uh, retelling of a uh, late sixties in Hollywood. And it's really special that they are showing it in 35 millimeter. It's a beautiful print. Have you seen the movie, Pat? Yeah. I saw it a couple days after you, I think. 
How did you like it? I liked it a lot. It was not my favorite Tarantino film, but I did still very much enjoy it. Um, and seeing it on a 35 millimeter print was always just such a privilege. Yeah, that was beautiful. So can you take us a little bit behind the scenes if you are so at the bill at the bell court? Mm-hmm. It's probably floating out there that these prints are out there and they just probably said we would love to show it. Is it that simple or how does how do those things kind of happen behind the scenes? I mean, I never really did a whole lot of programming, so I'm just kind of going to, you know, uh, but I mean, part of it is soliciting things like that. You know, mm-hmm. Toby Leonard, who's been their programmer for a long time and has done a tremendous amount of work for that theater and is always on top of like when studios are releasing their 35 catalogs and stuff like that. But I'm also guessing that when Tarantino decided to do this 35 millimeter tour, there aren't many theaters left in the city that can even project 35. So the Belcourt mm-hmm. was probably on a short list, you know, yeah. like when the hateful eight came out and he did that 70 millimeter road show, I think there are, uh, cool springs at the time could still project 70 which is why they got it and 70 is even even rarer phenomenon than right than uh 35 i drove to chicago to see roma on 70 millimeter at the music box oh it's awesome yeah so i'm guessing we were probably on a short list plus the velcroid has had a history of taking or of, of playing films that are bigger hit films but are not extreme blockbuster things like avengers films and doing well with them on 35 they did extremely well with moonrise kingdom when that first came out the wes anderson film oh yeah uh, i saw it there like i think the Belcourt beat several like national chains on per screen average and the amount of tickets they were selling oh that's awesome uh, and i think things like that you know give the Belcourt some some weight on those things when they want to try and book a 35 of something like once upon a time that's great it's a it's a treasure here in town we love it Belcourt theater toby, i'm sorry what's that if i'm wrong toby i'm sorry i fucked that up <laughs> you can find them at bellcourttheater.org and all their programming they we, do a great job we almost lost the bell court actually yeah. yeah like yeah in the early 2000s it was almost gone and the bell court as it is now exists because of a group of community activists and philanthropists and arts appreciate arts arts people who formed the bell court yes llc which would eventually become what the bell court is now mm-hmm. bless them yeah the bell court is actually often considered a model in the art house realm of how a community can save a theater that would otherwise go extinct that's, that's great that, that the bell court has been cited as an example and things like our house our art house convergence and sundance and stuff like that that's amazing so how you might factor into that and how, <laughs> how uh, uh, some some of the times that i've really enjoyed at the bell court so when i first moved to town a while ago years ago i didn't have a job and i had time on my hands i didn't really know anybody and they had just started doing a terrence malick retrospective so i got to see all those films yeah. at the bell court and they served beer, and it was so hot. It was one of the hottest summers oh, in Nashville. The it was the 90 parents. days of 90, yeah, where it was above 90 for, for 90 straight days. And that was one of my kind of introductions to Nashville, that there was this, this really special theater with all this great programming, and I could sit there and have a beer. And I think it was right around the time, possibly, because I think you were, you were working there then. Yeah, um, I definitely It would have been eight or nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and it was short... <laughs> It was during that time or shortly after that booze came in after the beer. Um, were you there for that? I, so they had a liquor license when I started working there. Okay. Um, and I started in August or September of 2010. Mm-hmm. And they had had a liquor license beforehand. I think sometimes due to certain uh, restrictions, we could not serve liquor at certain screenings. Mm. The NC-17 films are the main one. Um, Why? Why? Because of laws that are more or less meant to prevent porn theaters from serving alcohol, and while odds are they would have been fine, it's not worth the risk of being wrong. Why? 
why is it not worth the risk of being wrong? Because the concessions or the the income from the alcohol, you know, you know, good and goddamn why. <laughs> why are you grilling the guest? <laughs> Pretty hot under these lights, yeah. <laughs> He's trying to get you to confess to something. I don't know what, but uh, we know Kenneth attended many of the NC seventeen screenings there, and I'm sure has a lot to say about that. We'll get into that later. But I, I would imagine that you spoke on the Belcourt Theater being a model for some of these other theaters in other cities. And I'm sure that serving booze and serving beer is a part of that model. Sure. Where yeah. we need to be able to open up um, our concessions area to items that have, you know, we know soda has, a good, has good margins, but so does beer and wine and liquor. Um, but I'll never forget coming there and seeing you, you had like a jigger mm-hmm. and you were making things. And yeah. I just, I was like... What's going on here? When you started serving booze and doing drinks there and stuff, had you had that interest for for those two worlds? You're obviously a film guy. How long have you been into cocktails and booze and those things? Okay. So, I mean, I am a film guy. I went to school for Soviet film history, uh, specializing in the history of animation uh, after the death of Stalin. Went to a lot of parties in college, as you might imagine. Uh, but I worked at a video store in Memphis called Black Lodge Video, which is one of the was is one of the largest video stores left in the country. There are 30... Five thirty-eight thousand movies in it, but every other weekend I would. And it's go, still open. Uh, they lost their lease, but they are in the process of moving into a new building. Wow, I think they plan that's to be amazing. up and running by October. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's great. I was actually just down there, just visiting them, saying hi, and you know, checking out how things were. Also, seeing Weird Al at the Orpheum, but you know, I'm, uh, oh, amazing. <laughs> yes, it was. It was great. That's great. Weird Al concert fourteen for me. Wow. Yeah. How does uh, a video store like? St- stay alive these days like that, are, are you talking like probably like vhs like vhs like dvd pumping Blu-ray. vhs do they do like repairs like no vhs uh, repairs and stuff no try I mean, to keep that like subculture alive no i you know i think part of why black lodge survived as long as it did in, in its old store in cooper young which is uh you know like a cultural hub in memphis um especially for younger people was it promoted a huge amount it, it like commanded a huge community loyalty i mean we had 2000 active renters at one point and they were getting things that you could get you know you could get the office or Mad Men or something but there was also a section of eastern european films of which i was the primary buyer or like there was a whole section just on like drug paranoia films from the 50s our horror collection was probably one of the largest in the country like we were oh that's dope yeah we were a store that you could get something that nowhere else would find like that even netflix didn't have like people would come in and trade just unlabeled VHS tapes to us for rentals and there'd be like footage of brain surgeries and shit like that. And we go, yeah, sure. That's worth four bucks. Here you go. And um, Oh my God. Yeah, that's what's up. Uh, Talk about bygone era. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so this, the new thing that Black Lodge is moving into, they're going to, I think also the second floor of the old store used to be a recording studio in another life. So it was a place where local bands would play. And so I think Black Lodge is moving more into <laughs> Being a performing arts center or like a performing arts venue for local bands and then having the video store there as part of its tradition. But I don't, I don't think the majority of the money will come from that anymore. But when I was at that store, I'd come up every other week and I'd go back home. I went to high school in Franklin. So I'd come back here and see a midnight at the Bell Court. And there were always drink specials at the Bell Court for the mm-hmm. midnights. Um, like I remember the first one I really remember was for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And it was the Waterloo. And it was vodka blue gatorade and sprite <laughs> uh, not bad that's no, trashy yeah, yeah, for like, like 450 you know yeah um and but i had kind of had a small just sort of at home bartending interest in cocktails in memphis that i had kind of explored on my own and then i came back after graduating 
uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which the store could barely afford to keep me. Yeah. You know? And my friend Zach, who I had met through the Belcourt, recruited me to work there. And they had a liquor license, and so I just sort of like having a basis, like a self-taught but strong enough foundation on like classic cocktails and why formulas work. Just started doing the midnight drinks, and that's really where it took off was doing drinks for the midnights. Like, um, Jim, that's cool. Yeah, Jim Ridley, uh, the former editor in chief of the scene, he let one of his writers, a guy named Lance, do like a blog about the midnight movies, and he would like cover the drink and cover the pre-show that Zach edited because like Zach always does these huge elaborate like trailer pre-shows for the midnights. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. But the drinks were always like part of the coverage, and that yeah. Oh, that's, that's great! Got my start. Is there a memorable drink that you did for those, uh, for for a particular midnight screening that you remember? Yeah, not necessarily because of the drink, but because of how we presented it. Mm. We when we did Jurassic Park, my friend Zach, uh, who is now their assistant programmer. I'm sorry if I fucked up your title, Zach. And he works on their education branch as well. He does a lot of their in-house editing and cuts the in-house trailers for the theater. And we were talking about Jurassic Park and made some comment about how for people of our age, you know, in the early 30s, that's kind of our Star Wars. Like what Star Wars was to our parents in May of 77, Jurassic Park was to us in our youth. Yeah. And what an important film it was to a lot of people and how we wanted to do something a little more. And Zach was like, well, why can't we? And so with the help of a projectionist there named Kevin Doyle, who's also an exceptionally talented artist and just sort of jack of all trades on the production side of things, we shot a video that was a an attempt at a scene-for-scene parody and recreation of the animated tour they get of how they clone dinosaurs, but turned it into how we make cocktails for the Midnights. Oh, wow. And I went on stage live and you know, introduced myself. And then I came up on the screen. I was like, hello, Pat. Hello, Pat. And we took a shot of Frenet and then I started duplicating on the screen. We did the Whoa. whole video. So that really stands out. That's still on YouTube. You can find it. Somewhere. That's incredible. Yeah. If you look up Belcourt Dino DNA, you can find it. But wow. I was fucking terrified. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm sure you had, uh, you know, however many it seats in there breathing down on you. Yeah. 332 seats or something like that was wow. the capacity. And, um, we had practiced it once we had like, cause like, I think we wrote shot and, had the thing like f- for a rehearsal within like 12 hours before the midnight. We really like, we wow. were up till four in the morning the night before working on it. And oh, that's great. Yeah. But that's can, a good it's story. It's still on YouTube. But yeah. yeah, that was, that was maybe the most fun and the proudest moment I had. And I mean, I couldn't have done it without Zach and Kevin. So, you know, I know I said it then, but years yeah. later, thank you still. That was holler. Now, do you have any good stories being at these midnight movies and people are drinking and I'm sure a lot of things happened? You have any good midnight movie stories? Uh, I about, mean, yeah, know. the Rocky Horror Picture Show always brings in its its yeah, slew oh, of, of degenerates. Um, <laughs> uh, I do remember tr- like one. It was actually I think it was a Rocky Horror. I forget where this guy was in no position to continue being served. So we gently cut him off, and he screamed, "That's he was like that's fucking unacceptable!" And I was like, "You really want to rethink this?" Yeah. And he went into the bathroom. and came back, and he said, "You know what, man? I'm really sorry." Can I have a Sprite? I was like, absolutely. Oh, can. wow. <laughs> and I was like, that's, I've never had a cutoff go as well as that. It doesn't go again. down no, like that. Yeah, yeah not never at all. Down like that. Never again. Yeah, no. that wouldn't happen at a bar. No. That might only happen at a movie theater. Yeah. 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 If, if, a, if a concessionist is cutting you off, maybe you're like revisiting what brought you to that moment. That's insane. But I mean, yeah, people really like, there were some people who were very into the midnights and it was very flattering. Like they would always come and always get the drink. They wouldn't even look at what the sign was. They were just like. I need the, I gotta have the drink. And that always was, it was nice. Like when I had that small group of like eight to 12 people who always went to the midnights cause they were midnight diehards, but the drinks had become a part of what made the midnights for them. That was, I think the moment where I thought maybe, maybe this is something I should consider like that. I really should 
be doing. Yeah. Because later, when you left Nashville for a while, you went to New York City. Mm -hmm. You went there to establish a kind of a film cocktail program. Yeah. A cocktail program at a theater there. Yeah. So there's a a chain of theaters based out of Texas that was opening up in New York. And I had been introduced to their beverage director. And we had talked. And so I was kind of looking for a change anyway. Mm -hmm. And not for any fault of the Belcourt. Because I had been in Nashville a long time. It was, you know, nice to do something and so i went up and that theater was uh delayed by like three or four years so i I think it actually just opened two years ago or something like that oh wow so it was you know but i wound up uh but yeah i went up for that Mm -hmm. because they needed someone who knew movies and cocktails yeah um and so i was on a short list Mm -hmm. so what was your new york experience like it was great i um you know within nine days of settling in the theater was a ways out i you yeah. know i also i wanted to like establish myself and not you know start a new job and move to a new city all at once so yeah a very good friend of mine had found me a job at a place and or not found me a job had recommended me for a job at a bar in his neighborhood in carroll gardens in downtown brooklyn a place called the jake walk which was a little neighborhood wine and cocktail spot that was owned by a group that also owned a meat and cheese shop so we like specialized in charcuterie and cheese boards that was like our thing we were a really popular first date spot and we were a small bar that had a really solid following of regulars in the neighborhood and um made a lot of really great meaningful like relationships with the bar the bar staff there i still mm-hmm. i actually just talked to one of them yesterday um, that's cool and then i left jake walk and did some independent stuff like for bars and a little bit for film festivals doing tech stuff mm-hmm. um i don't necessarily miss living in new york you know but i do miss the people and the yeah. connections that i had there um mm-hmm. but they're always there you can always visit yeah it's a lot so, of people yeah it is a lot of people uh, weirdly though, I was on the fe- the subway like three weeks before I left, and I heard someone go Pat, and I look up, and it was someone who grew up across the street from me that I had never seen in New York. Oh wow! Ten million fucking people. She happened to be on the cheap. That's what's up. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I ran into my buddy Bracken one time um, in in Brooklyn on a random trip to to Brooklyn, which is not very often at all. Maybe like three times in my life. But like one of my old college friends on the subway hit me up. He's like, Kenneth, is that you? And I was like holy shit, Bracken, what what the fuck are you doing? He's like, hanging with my buddies. It was TV on the radio. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I just, these are my neighbors. Like, Pleasure to meet you. My neighbors were a huge Polish Catholic church. And if... That's you, what's up. Yeah, it was great. If you, It was actually the, like... The most small town neighborly thing I think I've ever experienced anywhere I've ever lived was if, you're pa- if you weren't there for a package... The UPS just brought it to the church because they trusted the church to hold on your mail for you. So you would just go and talk to a nun or talk to a priest and wow. get your, on get the your daily. Amazon package yeah, and just go home. So what was it like living there, coming from Nashville, where you're really into the film scene here mm-hmm. and the Belcourt, and you're getting to see a lot of cool films come through the Belcourt and do the midnight stuff. But what was it like being in a, a real film town? I mean, it was... It was um, probably had to be kind of a paradise for you yeah it was yeah. great i mean there's a if you're ever in new york city and you want to see a film that you might never see again a guy named john deringer maintains a website called screen slate which lists every major art house screening in new york city as well as like major things are going on in museums but he does it every day he's got a really dedicated staff and it is oh, wow. an, it is a vital resource wow. if you're living in new york and you care about film it's I checked it every day after I checked the news. And you probably just saw amazing, crazy things coming oh, up on that. Yeah, there's a yeah. little 24-seat screening room in uh, Brooklyn called The Spectacle that plays things that like you will literally never see anywhere else ever again. And I love that place. It was volunteer staff only. It was like $5 to see a thing. It was, I mean, I saw some wild... Lots of Fugazi prices. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some wild shit there. That's like, crazy. Uh, they do a thing 
called Blood Brunch, where uh, it's just a mystery slasher every Saturday and Sunday morning, and then you don't know what it is until you get there. It was great. It was a lot of fun. I'm down wow. for that. Yeah. And then I had family circumstances that brought me back here and wound up at the Patterson house. You come back here, you end up at the Patterson house, and you're kind of taking all this cocktail knowledge that you've accumulated over the years, and you come back here, and you're at a very serious cocktail spot. Mm-hmm. What was your time like there? What was it like to kind of come back full circle and be back in Nashville and really focusing on cocktails at that point? It was interesting because the Patterson House had been my post-shift bar for years. I mean, like when I moved to New York, the last place I was, like my goodbye to everyone was at the Patterson House. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to go from being a regular to being a part of the staff and then eventually a manager. But it was great. I mean, like it was, you know, like walking into Cheers and then getting behind the bar instead of sitting down. and everyone like norm bartending all of a sudden yeah exactly yeah (laughs) what's going on here (laughs) yeah except they were all like norm get the fuck back here and you know like i remember riley parent at one point when i was training she was like have you ever opened here before i know you've helped us close i was like no i haven't what no (laughs) Um, but like that level of familiarity between me and the rest of the staff was so there that it was a very it felt pretty natural and they're like are you clocked in (laughs) is this going is this a thing and it was yeah it was it was interesting you know the Jake Walk was a great, like, practical training bar, but outside of the Jake Walk and up to the Patterson House, I had been a largely self-taught bartender, sort of, like, syncretic. I had pulled things from a lot of people. Like, Matt Toko had let me, you know, had always treated me like a peer and not some, you know, little kid looking in to a, you know, through a window. Mm-hmm. And that meant a lot. And, and yeah. he was the one who first suge- suggested when I told him I was coming back, he was like, well, we need someone at the Patterson House. You have a job if you want it. That's and, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Shout out Matt Toko. Yes, thank you. Shout out Riley, too. Yes, shout out Riley. (laughs) Both are gangsters. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Riley and I shared a stick of deodorant for a summer. (laughs) Man, that's 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 tight. tight. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Jinx. (laughs) Yo me a Takate. (laughs) But it was, I mean, like, you know, the Patterson House was the first place where, like, I was given a manual with steps of service and stuff like that. And that was, I mean, it was, I mean, I needed that, Mm -hmm. you know, to a degree to, to polish. It was, it really helped me polish, I think what i how how i bartend now obviously and it was really great to be working just like in cocktails and not having other considerations you know um not having to tie it into a movie or right you know make sure that we don't hemorrhage money at four dollars and fifty cents a uh-huh. cocktail uh-huh. <laughs> things like that yeah um although the Belcourt gave me a tremendous amount of leeway like you know one day our the director of the theater saw me outside like with a blowtorch and some roses she's like what are you doing it's like i was i'm just trying to see what burnt rose ash was like never mind i don't i don't care <laughs> you know uh it was just like this level of trust and like yeah it's fine just you know. yeah um, i'm sorry i asked yeah <laughs> yeah i regret everything but yeah it was great it, and then eventually i wound up being the assistant ma- or bar manager at agm they're kind of the they're interchangeable there yeah the title after doug took the job at athens fast forward in a little bit mm-hmm. henrietta red gets ready to open in germantown must have been three years ago we opened February of 2016. Wow. 17, 2017. Okay. So yeah, about two and a half two years. And, a half years. and you're getting ready to open that place. Mm-hmm. It's going to be seafood focused and have really awesome wine and cocktails. But at some point, Jello shots came into play. It came in during my interview. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was part of the, the plan from the get-go. Yeah. So yeah. when Henry Red was opening, they were still looking for a bar person. And Toko had talked to Allie, the GM and co-owner. And said something like, I think I have someone who might work. I just reached for a bar towel and I have one. What the fuck is that? That's amazing. <laughs> uh, Mike just uh, like spilled a little bit of beer and 
damn, Patrick did like reach for a bar towel. I feel like, I feel like that scene in a movie where a cop goes for his gun and he doesn't have it. <laughs> Way to yeah. tie it in. Heavens to Betsy, that was Jello shots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Toko had suggested that I that she talk to me, and he came to me, and his pitch was more or less, "You've been at the Patterson house a long time. You want to work somewhere with windows?" And I was like, "God, yes, that sounds amazing." And so I met with Allie in an interview and we talked about thoughts about the program and she said she wanted to do jello shots. And I, I don't remember, I think I might've like chuckled cause I thought she was joking. Like I'm very serious. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I won't lie to you. I don't know a whole lot about jello shots and, or at, at, anything. And she's like, well, mm-hmm. can you learn? I'm like, yeah, I can learn. Mm-hmm. And can read instructions on the back <laughs> of a box. Yeah. Well, so I started like reading, I started like doing research, you know, cause like other people had, had done. Like, Eben Freeman had made a Ramos Gin Fizz marshmallow, like, 10 years ago or whatever in New York. And I just started researching and realized, like, if I was going to do this, I might as well do it in the way that I knew best. And so the we started doing, or we, we opened with three different classic cocktails. It was a gin and tonic, a Jack Rose, and a Sherry Cobbler. And then since then, every week, it's just been three different classics. I mean, sometimes classics repeat because after a while, you hit a wall or, you know, some things work well and people like them. But yeah. 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 So that was something Allie wanted from the beginning. And, you know, we do a happy hour where they're discounted. And our very first day of service to the public that wasn't a soft open was a Thursday, which at the time was the Jello Shot happy hour. Mm-hmm. And the first people to order Jello Shots were, uh, I, I remember I carded them just for the posterity if I ever got to tell the story. They were like 63 and 64. And I was like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. But here you go. Here's wow. some Cherry Cobbler Jello Shots. That's oh, great. man. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at a bar in college where we did Jello Shots, but they were. Not good jello shots. Yeah, so I had actually <laughs> never had a jello shot uh, until I guess I made some. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Henry Red closes one week in the fall every year. And for our first break, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have any thoughts. And then I had a dream. And in my dream, I was 75 and a widower, which I thought it was unnecessary for my brain to concoct a wife just to. I'm so you know. sorry. Just to offer on a train uh, somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hi And I went into, you know, exile because I couldn't solve it. Um, <laughs> but I owned a fountain pen store in Portland, Maine, and I was just like a happy old shopkeep. And I was like, that was a nice dream. I'm going to go see what Portland, Maine's about. And so I went to Portland, Maine on a whim. Oh, cool. And I was waiting to get into an, uh, an oyster bar called Eventide. And as I was just like walking around Old Port, I heard... ABBA wafting from a dive bar. I was like, well, these people are my people because I similarly what love... What song? Uh, I think it was Waterloo. Mm. I was like, I still really I listened to that last night. Pop stylings of <laughs> the Swedish Beatles, and uh-huh, I went in there uh-huh. and they had Jello shots, so like paper cup, strawberry Jello, and Everclear. And mm-hmm. I got one. And I was like, oh Jesus! And I was talking to the bartender. I was like, yeah, you know, I work at a restaurant. We do Jello shots. I was showing him pictures, and he just looked and was like, that seems like a lot, and walked away. <laughs> I was like, All right, <laughs> fuck me, I guess. That's funny. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Maine's awesome. Yeah, it was great. Oh, I love. Is that your first time there? Yeah, yeah. I have a hot cousin in uh, in Maine, actually. Banger. Oh, man. <laughs> From the West Sorry. Tennessee Files, <sighs> Mr. <laughs> Kenneth Deadman. <laughs> Once you said Maine, it was going to happen. I just like let it loose. Like. <laughs> so you might be one of the first bartenders, if not the first bartender, to ever have a high-end jello shot in the food section of the New York Times. It's possible. It's possible you're yeah. the only one. I, I yeah, I don't know. I haven't done a lot of I haven't really looked. I just remember Julia, like our chef, handing me the phone one day and saying, Pat, someone's in New York Times wants to talk about jello shots. And I was like, I'm sorry, one more time. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the reception to the jello shots was great. I mean it's become like a defining element of our program. Yeah. Sure. So you are doing 
talk a little bit about what you're bringing to the Jello Shot game because you're bringing some cool classic cocktail mm-hmm. ideas. You're bringing some nice spirits to the table, but you're also doing cool stuff with presentation, like adding yeah. like some fruit here and there, and yes. uh, some little toppings and yeah, stuff like so that. So like whenever we do an El Diablo, because um, I'll like you know, which you know, Cassis has such a dark kind of like dying color. I'll like I'll separate the drink into two batches: one of just tequila, lime, and ginger, and one of tequila, lime, and Cassis. Mm-hmm. And then do alternating layers of like the clearish because the, the the ginger doesn't add a huge amount of color when all is said and done. So it's a relatively clear kind of colorless layer. Mm-hmm. It was really clear and then a layer of purple and clear and a layer of purple and clear and then a little piece of candied ginger on top and people freak out. Um, yeah, we did Queens Park Swizzles once, mm. which was which were cool. I just, like it took me a while to figure out like how to make a very thin layer of Angostura bitters that would gel without heating it so high that the, like that, you know, to like even just, there's so little of it that any small amount of flame basically would make it ignite. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, took a while to work that out to get the gelatin to dissolve. Uh, mm-hmm. I just wound up like blooming it in water and then mixing it into Angostura, like lowering the amount of Ango. Um, but just like a very thin, razor thin, like layer of Angostura bitters on top. And then we would just put little mint sprigs in. Um, and it's, yeah, you know, like what, I think at one point we did Army Navies and we candied almonds to go on top, but it just they, it was just too it's it was so humid that the air was like sucking the sugar out of the almonds and they mm. would turn to sludge. So we had to mm-hmm. summertime in yeah, Tennessee, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It just yeah, that that we had to abandon that pretty quickly. And the one that was in the New York Times had like blackberries on it. That was almost looking cobbler. like yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. So it was it like, like a, that caviar on there. Yeah, it yeah. was like it was like a layer of uh, lemon and orange juice and a little sugar that I gelled, and then a. a thicker layer of Amontillado Oloroso Manzanilla with a little bit of sugar and then just like kind of crushed fruit and some powdered sugar on Holy it. Holy shit, to, like, dog. resemble a, an actual sherry cobbler. Yeah, yeah it's, it was beautiful. Well done, dude. We might have to post that picture on our, on our Instagram or something. Y'all are doing well over there, like in an area that's like kind of like, I mean, high rent and like uh, super competitive. Mm-hmm. City is super competitive oh, in noticed. the restaurant game and like y'all, y'all have been crushing it crushing i've never heard a bad review oh i have no one <laughs> well you know do yeah, share when you're managing and things that's all you hear <laughs> yeah exactly right? it's all just it's all just bad reviews yeah uh, Basically. all the time yeah well so, from people that matter right no i've never I, heard yeah, a bad I'm, I'm bad being, review i was being facetious thank you though <laughs> <laughs> you brought some jello shots today i did let me yes. retrieve okay all right i didn't garnish them just because i was worried about the travel how so dare I, you i know should I just go? This is, are we done? This is it now because I didn't garnish the jellos. Uh, we'll keep you around for five more minutes. See how they taste first. Am I just going to have to make like weird eye contact with your unpaid intern? He doesn't really make eye contact. He doesn't blink much. Not he like should probably me. see an optometrist. <laughs> Stares at the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so there are three. There's a 20th century cocktail. Uh, gin, lemon, coke americano, and creme de cacao. Mm-hmm. A Jack Rose. Apple brandy, lime juice, and grenadine. And then a Mai Tai, which Whoa. in this case is Appleton Estate or Appleton Signature, Rand Nephew, and Eldorado Five, Lime Orjat, and then Creole Shrub. Mike, you gonna get a photo of these? Well, it's trippy. They're pretty cold. Are they? Well done. Oh yeah. nice. Oh hell yeah. Good job, Pat. Thanks, other Pat. You're welcome, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, yeah, I can smell the gin. Yeah, the 20th century. So all the all the Jello shots sit at 30% dilution. I tried to keep them as close to like roughly what a cocktail dilutes at as possible. Mm-hmm. But I definitely notice that sometimes the alcohol perception is higher when it's a little piece of jello that you pop in your mouth. Right. Cheers. We're putting these down. Oh, yeah. Clank them. <laughs> Clank. Clanking jello like, flop, on liquid Flop gold. them together. <laughs> I always like to slosh oh, you got the cacao. jello. Yeah. Slosh it around. 
And like some people first time Jello slosh on liquid gold. <laughs> you know, I don't that, that drink in particular is one that people have very strong opinions on. I really like 20th century cocktails, but I know that a lot of people do not. But I think there's something about that profile that translates well when it's like something more edible and snack like. You get like citrus and chocolate is not everyone's bag. But right. I think it, I think texturally it like I think having that gel makes it maybe a little less bracing for some people. I like that better than the cocktail. Yeah, for sure. Citrus a lot and of chocolate is like yeah. goes well together. Have you had that new um, Olive and Sinclair? Mm-mm. They've got a, a lemon chocolate bar now. Oh, cool! It's fucking game changing. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Super oily. Shout out Scotty. Yeah, Scotty's Track one down. Scotty's killing it. And so Jack Rose, these were you know the Jack Rose is my favorite cocktail. So tell so, us tell now? us a little bit about the Jack Rose itself because that's a that's a great classic cocktail and one that people can make at home pretty easily. But yeah. what what do you love about it? So I mean I, do, I so I like my Jack Roses with lime, and I know that you know there's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people are of different minds or different schools. Some people are apple brandy, lemon and grenadine, or lime and grenadine. Some people do both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there's something about the kind of sharpness and like almost not metallic. I mean, like lime has that kind of like kind of coppery metally thing to it mm-hmm. i get what you're saying yeah. yeah that i think really pulls out both the apple from the brandy and then helps round out the sweetness from the pomegranate um and you can make them very easily at home you know if you want to make grenadine you can it's a very simple process there are also several like quality store-bought ones now mm-hmm. um i think it's a great way to introduce people to apple brandy if they've mm-hmm. ever had it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. especially like whiskey drinkers who think you know when they think any like fruit and brandy, they're thinking of all the bottles of decoipers and bowls of cores that have been on shelves, and they, you know, they think that apple brandy tastes like apple schmuckers, juice. puckers, yeah, whatever. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not this beautiful, round, decidedly American spirit. Right, which we're going to get into on a future episode of Shots. So I look forward to that because we all love our apple brandy here. I like it with lime. Yeah. I like it more with lime because it reminds me of like when my mom would throw out a spread for folks that are guests, mm-hmm. she would always slice a lot of apples. But use lime juice to like keep it from Talking oxidizing. From yeah. Same for like bananas and stuff. So that flavor, yeah, completely. I just think the lemon. Great. I think the lemon gets too soft in a Jack Rose, and like it just sort of. I think the lime is just a little sharper and makes you pay more attention to all three of the components of the drink rather mm-hmm. than it just sort of being lemon is just a little too. Unique. I think if it's lemon, you have to add another yeah. ingredient. Yeah, it like makes yellow it, chartreuse or something. Yeah, or even, even like, orange bitters, just something yeah. to you know. It makes it more of a singular kind of experience of having a Jack Rose, yeah. where it's not as, it doesn't make, quote unquote, as much sense, mm-hmm. where, you know, and that's kind of cool. That's what's cool a lot about a lot of classic cocktails, like the 20th century, is it's kind of like, does this even make sense? And then you try it and you're like, oh, yeah, you're and like, like taste in history. And there are some people who are very firmly in the camp that aged spirits and lime don't work well together, with the exception being rum. Mm-hmm. And in general, I think that's true. I think most shaken whiskey drinks are probably better with lemon than lime. And actually, I think that's probably true with a lot of apple brandy drinks in particular. But I think there's something about the combination, especially because the grenadine in this, our house grenadine, is pomegranate juice, both fresh pomegranate juice and then juice we reduce by half, and then sugar and pomegranate molasses, which has that really tangy, almost like Tootsie Pop caramelized pomegranate flavor. Mm -hmm. And I think you just need that extra sharpness and brightness that lime brings to really like make it not muddy and kind of flat. And Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like zesting lime into, into it or something. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Straight to the dome, straight to the dome. And then these are my favorite jello shot or my favorite cocktail I've had. Another, another one. The Mai Tai, the Mai Tai. (laughs) Oh shit. So, uh, Appleton signature, which I guess I think used to be called Appleton VS or VX. Right. Isn't that what it, um, Mm -hmm. Ray and Nephew and Eldorado Five Year is the base of the rum. The orange element is Creole Shrub. Just I really like Creole Shrub, and I mm, like using it 
I like using it with around products that, you know, it's like like goes with like. Exactly. It makes a ton of sense. That's what we use at Chopper for yeah. the Mai Tai. It's, it's real delicious. Yeah. yeah. And then Orgeat that we make in-house and mm-hmm. um, lime. Cheers. Cheers. Mai Tai. Sheesh. Mai Tai Jello shots. Are you serving all three of these at Henrietta Red right now? Yeah, that's probably what I'll do. Do you way. rotate them mm-hmm. or do you? I rotate them, but depending upon a couple things, like what do we have, if, especially like so we have some passion fruit lying around, so I might do a Saturn Jello because Saturns also mm. make a pretty cool Jello. Mm, I bet. Um, uh, is it blue when you do it? Does it come up kind of blue? No, no. The Orjat really like is, is surprisingly like dying. Like I, the last time I made Army Navies, it looks flesh toned. It is mm. not an attractive looking Jello <laughs> shot, but it is a tasty Jello shot. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But you just have to get over the fact that it looks like you're eating skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Former horror film uh, <laughs> fan over here. <laughs> Coming back for for his revenge on the people in Nashville. Yeah, I love it. So, are there any Jello shots that you've done at Henrietta Red that the guests have demanded stay on the menu? Like, has there been one where it's like, uh, Palomas are super oh, popular. Man. I bet. Uh, also, Mexican firing squads, which mm. is just you know Jack Rose with tequila. I love that drink. Tequila I love that is drink unfair. Too. Oh, man, yeah, tequila is tequila unfair. Is I've heard unfair. that on your show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a running theme. Yes. Uh, oh tequila oh forget about it yeah <laughs> but yeah that that one's always really popular there's this one guy who who specifically asked me to make an old-fashioned jello and i did and it was extremely boozy and he loved mm. it but it was a mixed yeah just a booze bomb yeah negronis yeah. are pretty popular people oh, like man, negroni jellos and we good. do this for negroni week every year mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. yeah uh i think the least popular that i love that no like and i make them like why the fuck am i doing this no one's ever gonna is a frenet and coke jello Ooh, it's really funny. cool, but then people will try it and they're like, nah, dog. I don't ever want this again. Do you get Fernet Face, which we call on the show. Fernet Face is, is when you get someone to try Fernet who never has, and then you go through the steps, and it's great if you can film it. Yeah, like Malort Face, right? Yeah. But for yeah. Fernet? Yeah. 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 It's yeah. a Same beautiful thing. thing. So are you introducing people to that? Is it like uh, sometimes, getting I mean, like, Fernet Face for people? The people who order, the people who, if we're like, yeah, so we have three cocktails. We have a... Uh, Gold Rush and a Paloma and a Fernet and Coke. The Fernet and Coke's going to people who work in this line of work, more yeah. or less. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Mm-hmm. But every now and then there's someone like, yeah, we'll get one of all three. And then they try the Fernet and there's definitely like a, this is a very strange jello shot. Mm. Like, well, yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and I actually just had to order more because unfortunately our batch got wet, but we've been, we've been playing with drinks that are classically carbonated for jellos. I bought unflavored Pop Rocks. Mm. And then we just sprinkle it on top right before you eat it so that you kind of get like a little fizzy. Oh, you're great. doing a great job, yeah. dude. Wow. I just, I just well had to done. order more, though. Cause, like, is that working out? Is it? Yeah, is we, it... You have to do it like almost table side if they're not right in front of you because mm-hmm. like, it'll, it'll dissolve in the 20-second walk from the bar to the dining room. Mm. Um, but when we've done it, and it's been a while because it's actually kind of hard to find unflavored Pop Rocks. Uh, or like things like that, like unflavored popping candy. I think I got my last stuff off of... Uh, you can make it. I feel like you can make it. It's just like sodium bicarbonate, right? Yeah, like, but it's also like 25 bucks for a pound, and I don't have to make that. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. He doesn't want to blow up the kitchen there. They got a lot of nice seafood in there. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. yeah. We like, need more crushed ice. <laughs> Stove's on fire. Like, on. <laughs> I'm basically making, making crack over here without without the cocaine. The day before, Leave me alone. The day before we opened for our soft open, I was juicing ginger and prep. For syrup and julia and i were joking that the champion we had gotten was a refurb so like be, you know don't go too nuts on it and then the building as i was depressing ginger we had a brownout and i was like 
did I just fucking kill the electricity and make a ginger syrup? <laughs> I was like, I have to move. I have to. I, I can't work here. <laughs> like calling your friends in New York. Yeah, I was like, hey. Uh, what's going on out there, I'm guys? In, <laughs> my reputation will never recover from killing it. But then, you know, just obviously dumb luck. Of the three, because I'm going to grab another one. Please. Um, of the three, what would you what would you grab? Jack Rose. Yeah, me too. Will you grab me one? Yep. The Jack Rose, the Jack Rose Jello shots. I love because trust me, I'm not like rating a, them at a, all. No, like, I, yeah, I don't believe in a, rating shit. It's a like, perfect, Mr. Deadman. People are entitled to their opinions. You're allowed to like something more than others. Thanks it's a for perfect. Me that. It's a perfect representation, Mr. Idiot, <laughs> <laughs> of of the drink. And I hadn't had one of those drinks in a while, and it took me right back to this is like Holland House, like where mm-hmm. like probably the last one I made mm-hmm. was there. Uh, I don't feel like I made it in a long time. I haven't made and one in a really long time. It's just, it, yeah, it just tastes like history. Yeah. It's great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Apple brandy is, is fucking dope. And it's like, I feel like it's very neglected in the cocktail scene, or at least sure. amongst consumers. Like, I feel like a lot of bartenders love using it, mm-hmm. but a lot, of, a lot of guests don't really enjoy ordering it. Yeah, and it's hard because like from a you know business side of things, those drinks rarely sell as well, and they tend to be more expensive, you know, material costs, because apple brandies, even like well apple brandies or well calvados, tend to be a little more expensive than your well bourbons. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. They, you know, a bourbon, the same drink with bourbon would probably outsell it three to one on a menu and a blind, like on a side by side. And it becomes hard to like justify, but, you know, I mm-hmm. just love apple brandies and I don't care. So we have several. Yeah. Historically, whiskeys were like more of the poor man's thing, and then like, Gentlemen like uh, like George Washington who mm-hmm. were like building licensed or taxable distilleries that were focusing specifically on apple brandies. Yeah, and you know apples don't grow in every part of the country, which also limits their popularity and so like I mean you know you see them more now, but especially when distillation began in this country, apples were not growing in I don't know here or Kentucky. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were. I mean, mostly brought all brought over from. From from Europe, yeah. so they had to they had to be planted and they had to grow and they had to flourish in certain areas. So, the amount of alcohol in these Jello shots mm-hmm. would you say it's like a half a cocktail's worth, or would you say probably not even? Because Kenneth and I've been sucking them down now. Yeah, now we're fine. a little so, worried. So the average, <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. So as I was telling Uber, I was telling Kenneth, I think when you when you went to go get a towel, the Jello shots are set to thirty percent dilution. Mm. So the thirty percent water to try and get as close to like the what so that it didn't like just hit you in the face with alcohol mm-hmm, you know, so it's mm-hmm. still sort of roughly tasted like experiencing a cocktail mm-hmm. and they're one ounce jellos so no you're i mean you're fine would you be able to walk our listeners through maybe a, yeah. a simple jello shot say sure. we could do a mexican firing squad Absolutely. would be an easy one yeah I'd be happy um to. yeah so where do we go so uh you will need Unless you like, if you have molds at home, you're welcome to use those. But I, when before I, we just, if you just recently found these great silicone, like ovular molds that I really love that like have a great shape and they're one ounce each. And mm-hmm. yeah, I like these shapes. Yeah. The oval shape's nice. Yeah. Cause you know, they used to just be those rectangles. So like what I was doing, if you take a loaf pan, just like an average, you know, one pound bread loaf pan mm-hmm. and get it wet and then put plastic wrap in it so that it overhangs on all the edges mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and gently press it in and fill it with water to push all the air bubbles out like you were making a terrine for mm-hmm. lack of a better description mm-hmm. if you were to take that and just this is of, a booze terrine yeah this is a booze terrine <laughs> essentially so take that and put it to the side and then 
that loaf pan or well, the recipe I'm about to give you will make you Pullman pan 15 booze terrine takes the price up <laughs> uh, these are like so this will give you like 15 or 16 jello shots depending on how you want to cut them for but 16 ounces of of a jello batch so mm-hmm. in one cup or whatever six ounces of plata tequila just a white tequila we use altos at the bar but whatever just mm-hmm. you know two and a quarter ounces of lime and then two and a quarter ounces of grenadine and three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup because i have found as and this is from criticism just from talking to friends when we were first working on them the jellos need to be a little sweeter than the cocktail would be yeah that makes because sense. B- both the cold and like the gelatin change the way your tongue perceives everything and you need mm-hmm. a little bit of like you know like sugar is is fat in cocktails right it adds mm-hmm. richness and texture mm-hmm. and elasticity mm-hmm. and similar to a frozen drink it sounds like yeah, it's like, yeah it sounds actually, exactly you gotta, like that you gotta go it's, a little sweeter yeah you, you gotta, gotta go a little yeah. sweeter and your tongue doesn't really notice it mm-hmm. but you need it because if it's not there well, I mean, if it's not in a frozen drink, it won't freeze, right? Right. The Jello will set, but it'll just—it's just a little flat and kind of like very boozy. And so, anyway, six right. ounces of tequila, two and a quarter ounces each of lime and grenadine, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup, and then six dashes of Angostura bitters, mm. and then just over in a little pot, fifteen grams of powdered gelatin. You can use sheets, but I think. Just with a scale and powder, it's a lot easier to not have to do the mental math of converting and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. with four and three quarter ounces of water, mm-hmm. let that water, let the gelatin bloom in the water for like five to 10 minutes. You'll see it get like very thick and you can like tilt the pan and it'll sludge. And then over very low heat, stir the water and gelatin until the gelatin dissolves. I then pour it into the cocktail base through a fine strainer, just in case I miss some gelatin. Cause mm-hmm. when I was first doing this and trying things out. I'd bite into gel and get like a little chunk of undissolved gelatin. It was mm. deeply unpleasant. Um, <laughs> right. It felt That's like you good, were trial and error. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so then you have like your yellow shot base. You have a 16 ounce base of a cocktail. Take your water filled pan, press the edges or whatever, make sure that there's no air bubbles, and then gently pour that water out, pour the jello into that, mm-hmm. let it chill overnight at least. You can do six to eight hours. I find they set pretty quickly, quicker than like non-alcoholic gel i'm not quite sure why and then but i always just like make it as i'm closing and then yeah. come back in the morning and deep pan mm-hmm. and then the next day just pull the plastic out just lift it out and then put it on a cutting board and we used to do uh 15 and so we would just cut five by three and i would do it by hand and after a while i got an eye for it but three or four months in i was like oh, son of a bitch pastry wheels exist which if you've never seen one is a like an accordion of blades that when you spread they're equally measured so it, you know mm. just cut five wheels and so if you can find a pastry wheel, do that. But if you don't care that much, just use a knife. You're making jello shots at home. You're fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cut them up. You're yeah. Good. And then yeah. you have 15 or fifteen Mexican firing squads. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, thank you. Absolutely. We encourage our listeners to check that out and uh, try that out at home. Send us pictures. Send us questions. We'll yeah, pretty uh, good any time of year, I guess. Like Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're coming up on holiday party season, really. Like Halloween parties, November, December. It's just you can... You don't need a reason to party. It's like it's the end of the year. Let's like party. Jello shot. Like, Jello shots are perfect. In mm-hmm. in in a like you know the uncomfortable beginning of a party where everyone mm. doesn't really know each other. Like that's yeah. probably like the perfect thing to like loosen everyone up. They're like, oh, they got Jello shots here. I'm cheating on my husband. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a tequila one. Happens <laughs> to Betsy. The truth is coming out. <laughs> it's quite the Jello shot. Um, <laughs> The only piece of advice I would offer is that if you're doing a stirred drink, like a Negroni, 
bumped the gelatin down from 15 grams to 12. Mm. Uh, for whatever acid makes jello elastic, alcohol makes it brittle. So if you put as much alcohol or much gelatin into a Negroni jello shot as you do uh, a shaken cocktail one, it will be stiffer. Mm. And you won't quite have the toothy, like, jiggly bounce that, you know. You every need that jiggle. Shot. Yeah, you gotta have the jiggle. Yeah. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah, right. <laughs> well put. We're bartenders. We're trying to we're trying to make things happen for people. <laughs> All right. With that, I think it's time to turn things over. Oh shit! For Booze news with Kenneth Deadman. News to booze too. News to booze too. What do you got for us today? Gone Burgundy. Are we still doing that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about your hometown. Mm. And like this is this is kind of like a follow up to an old booze news uh, feature story. Uh, Paps Blue Ribbon has chosen Denver, Colorado, as its launch market for PBR whiskey. Unaged bullshit oh. that they're about to fucking unleash. Wow. Actually, I haven't tasted it, so I can't talk too like, much. Yeah, they're smoking shit. grass just, out there. Yes, Let's just do it there. Yes, the 160-year-old city that introduced us to the first trademark cheeseburger mm. and also recently was the first American city. Praise them to legalize Magic mushrooms. <laughs> and one hell of an airport. Yeah, it's, it's a, a great airport. Weird shit going on there. Right. It's where, it's airport where the, with yeah, it's the, where the uh, aliens are going to eventually kind of restart things. We all know that. The Illuminati Chris Christopherson's going to be involved. <laughs> I hope so, dude. I'm glad you guys know about that. Him and the whole um, Millennium Gang? Yeah. <laughs> Why is the airport out in the middle of nowhere? Oh, we'll tell you later. I knew this would be a good, this would be a good <laughs> one. I slept, I slept like overnight at that airport one time it mm. was trippy as uh you your, yeah you let your eyes close in that airport huh mm. you let your eyes close in that yeah airport? yeah i slept oh. i slept a solid he did it eight on hours he thought this is my way out <laughs> Come fortunately get me, not yeah. i actually woke up they were like calling my name they're like kenneth dadman like I, I went to sleep <laughs> he's like here we go they're like kenneth dadman like we're about to leave you next like, stop mars <laughs> and you home alone it through the illuminati airport wow so PBR is uh, <laughs> releasing w what they say is a five-second aged whiskey or an unaged whiskey. They're calling in, it five-second aged? Yeah, yeah. Oh. They're, they're going that as far. Yeah. Why would they even say anything? Sponsorship denied. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Ain't taste it yet. We're, it's a really, really interesting. Theme. We're great at deterring sponsors. Sure. Yeah. I think it's super interesting <laughs> that they chose uh, uh, Denver, Colorado, but it's not like a far cry for like a large company like that to like test market. And if if you've ever read um, <laughs> Fast Food Nation, which was uh, written by Eric Schlosser, um, he set the entire like all of his like research in Colorado Springs. Just based on like median income of of said folks in Colorado, like the diversity of Colorado, it's it's like across the board a really great place to introduce new stuff. And mm. like Nashville, we kind of get some of that because of how many like tourists come through here. But it's kind of like a new thing, like for like large corp large corporations, they need like a little bit of like normalcy and like 
although Colorado's like growth is, especially Denver has been like exponential. It's like a little bit more stable than Nashville's. Yeah, it was uh, when I'm not was, like I'm inviting PBR when, to like when I left introduce their whiskey here. Yeah, like, no thanks. When I left uh, <laughs> Boulder out of college and then went back to Denver and lived in the city for a while. And that was when the growth was really exploding there, similar to what's happened here. So I feel like I've see, kind of seen it happen twice. And how long it's taken in Denver to just keep going and keep growing has been really interesting to see. The only thing I would say about PBR launching something there makes sense to me. I was in the you know music scene there playing in bands and playing all over town. And PBR was very popular. It was everywhere. It was like that that it was like the beer that you would get for free for playing the show. It was the beer that you could drink. And I've always liked cheap beer. I've always liked rando beer. You know me. I've always liked Mexican beer. And I PBR was the one that I was just like, I'll take a Coors Light. Sure, sure. But um, Patrick, what do you think fine. about PBR? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not trying to hate. I'm just saying my, my Surely, experience. When was the last time you had a PBR, both of you? Uh, it actually wasn't that long ago, to be honest with you. Yeah, within a uh, month, I've had decades. one. Yeah. What, when I think of PBR, I think of the film Blue Velvet. And I think mm. of Frank Booth asking Kyle McLaughlin's character what he wants. He says, oh, Don't yeah. look at me! He says, Don't you fucking look at me! <laughs> I actually once uh, was dating someone and for Valentine's Day <laughs> made her a card of Frank with the, the, you know, the mask on his face and it said, if you get a love letter from me, you're fucked forever. <laughs> <laughs> Mixed reception. That's so sweet. That's great. Um, That's great. But oh, man. I, I always what think a lucky of girl. Heineken, fuck that shit. Pabst Blue Ribbon. And we used to joke at the Belcourt that that should be the midnight. We should have had a drink that said the drink special was Heineken. And then when they order a Heineken, say, fuck that shit and give them a PBR. Oh, that's great. Um, so that's what I think of when I think. So I have, I have like yeah. a, a f- sentimental fondness for PBR, but mm-hmm. it's it's not my dumb beer to you know of choice. Yeah. Moving on. Sean Rice, owner of the Salty Shamrock in Florida, has ordered his entire staff to get rid of Conor McGregor's Irish whiskey. <laughs> oh, wow. The also salty known as Shamrock? Proper 12 whiskey. Yeah. Uh, following following a, um, a salt. Wait, apparently he cold like, cocked some guy at a bar, right? An, yeah, yeah, he cold cocked an old man yeah, who saw that on refused Reddit. a shot of his, of his whiskey. <laughs> Said Irish pub in Florida, um, this is perfect actually, uh, ordered his whiskey not just to be like off the menu, but poured down the drains and <laughs> ordered his barbacks to smash every bottle into a garbage can, which is like That's pretty solid as far as like, you know, like Irish pride, like it or not, Conor McGregor is like a wee bit of a, uh, a representative of the Irish race and... To many, he's a disgrace and did it in classic Irish style, just like dumping it down the drain and then smashing the bottles. Wait, I don't know, like y'all both working like mm-hmm. management roles at, at bars. You think you could just like call the distributor and have them come pick them up and get like credit for them. But this guy ha- will not have it. Yeah. He will sp- <laughs> He he's will, looking at the sheets. He's saying, we're doing no all right. Expense. We're doing like, all right. And uh, we need some therapy. Let's make the news <laughs> and fuck Conor McGregor. And I agree with him. Fuck Conor McGregor. That but, guy's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, he's a buffoon. But can you imagine being the poor sanitation engineer who's like, you know, outside when the thing comes up and fucking shards of death glass come raining down on you because of someone else's therapy session? <laughs> Smashing the bottles in a trash can. Oh, I like, I like how you think about garbage men. I appreciate it. They're the foundation of our society. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. 
Well, I, shout out to guess, Tony Soprano. Yeah, <laughs> my guess in that situation is it's a very large uh, vessel. You're probably right that they're lifting with a machine. It's probably mechanical. Yeah, yeah, and they're and then well, those kids probably so, just got to take it out to the dumpster. There's probably so it's, a squirrel it's on them. Like there's yeah. probably a squirrel nearby who might have got a little yeah. cut. Did you know the dumpster is so. a trademarked name? Oh, uh, what do we call them then? Uh, I think it's just like mobile uh, disposal unit. But yeah, dumpster was trademarked by the Dempster Brothers. Okay, we wow. can't we can't afford a lawsuit here. Yeah. So, <laughs> speaking of Tony Soprano, <laughs> um, avoid porta potties, frisbee. What else will you get sued for? I heard a good story. If you want to talk about like good Irish moments, um, yeah, I heard a always. good story. I heard a good story from David Spade. He was he was right near the stage when Sinead O'Connor was on SNL, and she tore the picture. Yeah, I remember that and all that and. She goes off stage. It's really intense. It was the only time, I, I guess, in SNL history that when the music artist left the stage, the audience did not applaud and they did not cheer or anything. And he was sitting he was sitting off stage right near Lauren Michaels, who had a drink in his hand to bring it full circle to our show about drinks. He he with didn't miss a beat. He just sort of looked at looked around and I uh, looked at David Spade and he said, well, she is Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought that was great i mean like talk about the guy with the driest wit yeah. in history he's pretty, um, fu- he's pretty fucking funny man yeah i've, I've loved one. him forever mm. all right moving on high clear castle in uh southeast uh england is introducing their own gin brand based on danton abbey just in time for the movie television show uh apparently connecticut based uh spirit entrepreneur named <laughs> Adam von Gucken sounds about right to like start muddling, uh, meddling yeah. in this shit. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. After three years of development, they are going to be releasing a London dry gin made on premises from the ninth century um, botanical gardens on the property. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, so that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot cooler than it has any right to be. I think we're going to get like, I already, I already sent an email out and I think we're going to get a bottle maybe, maybe for our next episode. Excellent. Like, cool. Yeah. Spirits review. Finally. In international news, my friends. More international news. Yeah. Yes. Further international. It's been a big mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Not not a lot's happened around here, but in Russia, the Chernobyl Spirit Company is oh, releasing Atomic yeah. Vodka. Samagon. Super fucking cool, actually. We can talk on it for a, for a wee bit, but there are rye grains that are growing in the exclusion zone, and these guys are like, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's see how distillation actually like how actually works in impurities and is the ultimate mm-hmm. test. Apparently distillation actually removes radioactive material from water and grain. Mom, I have to take their word for it. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I thought they were just selling it as University it of Portsmouth in the UK has tested every every bit of the distillate and it's negative. Mm. Which is trippy. And this is a vodka that they're calling atomic vodka, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I know. Amazing. Uh, well, I mean, like, they need money in that region. Like, no one's really helping them out. And this is, like, a kind of a step for folks to start to recover. I know for a fact there are certain parts of that exclusion zone that, like, yeast doesn't grow, which is, like, very fucked up. Shout out, Help you know, our out. previous episode. <laughs> well, shout out our previous episode, David Berman. Rest in power, rest in peace. One of the things he used to joke about and talk about was how the irony that forest fires are good for the environment. And he always thought that that was like an, uh, you know, an overlooked aspect of 
a lot of forest fires that they happen for a reason certain times or you know people do control burns um but anyone listening in california probably doesn't want to hear anything about that well nature bounces back i think like I think it's important for us to realize, even though like we're human and we think like, we're better than everything else, like nature will freaking shake us off like a flea. Right. And taking it back to a formative film that we all grew up with that Patrick wants to talk about, we have Jeff Goldblum with the immortal wisdom of nature uh, finds a way. <laughs> Eventually, we're going to have like dinosaur vodka. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we put in our cars. Right. <laughs> well, this has been a very enlightening feature today of Booze News with Kenneth Dedman. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for Thanks, your Patrick. research. Thank you, Mr. Dedman. And thank you for your passion. That was great. Now, it has been an interesting summer of film. There was a you know a couple of huge blockbusters. The Avengers movie was huge. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we talked about, which was kind of... I, th- I feel like it was really smart that they released that film in late July. Yes. Because there was nothing going on. And a cycle of news with, if you factor in sports, everything else, there's just nothing really happening. But do you have thus far, do you have a favorite film that you've seen so far? This year? Yeah. Or anything you're looking forward to for the rest of the year? Well, I mean, there are a lot of things I'm looking forward to. I really love the movie Booksmart. Did you see Booksmart? Mm. I thought that was wonderful. That's been recommended to me by a few folks. Tell me about it. What's it about? It's about two teenage girls on the night of their graduation who were you know extremely studious good kids who never did anything and then they're both going to their dream colleges but they find out the day before the day yeah the day before their graduation that all their classmates who were like fucking around and partying and getting drunk are also going to like harvard and yale and they decided to have like one night of raging to prove they weren't just goody two shoes the whole mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. it's great it's intelligent it's heartfelt it's funny as hell mm. I really that would that would be up there for me. Technically, the film is from last year, but I saw it this year. Roma, I guess, is the best thing I've seen this year in a theater. Mm-hmm. But I saw it in January. Yeah, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell out of that. That was pretty. I feel like I good. saw the Willem Dafoe playing Van Gogh. Yeah, I, I feel like I might have saw that in January, and I loved that movie. Yeah, I forget what it's called. I liked it. Oh um, man, it was so good. And I saw that upstairs at the Bell Court. Mm. So once again, shout out. We love those guys. Van Gogh's a trip, dude. I've been there. To, uh, what was it like all a the city that he lived in mm-hmm. not far from there i had uh white chartreuse yeah. at eternity's oh. gate you ever had that i have no i have not ever heard of it i've heard of it yeah it's like colorless chartreuse that was meant to be yeah it was like like a cheaper 1895 yeah. to 1900 this sounds I, like your own version of at eternity's gate so when you a, reached eternity's gate you tried word, white chartreuse i knew the word eternity was in that film's name yeah Beautiful film. Um, so tell us about the white chartreuse. How was it? It was dope. I was. Uh, Does it taste like t- moonshine mixed with? Uh, nah, no, nah, it tasted great. Oh. It tasted great, dude. Like uh, lemon balm. I remember it tasted oh, wow. a lot, like like mm. just like bless those monks. Lemon balm. Does it still have that chartreusey character? Because I, I mean, like yellow and green taste different, but they still are, like to me taste of chartreuse, sort of mm-hmm. as a broader notion. Mm-hmm. Do you think what is white chartreuse like way outside of the the palette of yellow and green? No, no, it was it was like. I wouldn't say like anywhere in between the two, mm-hmm. but you you understood it that it belonged. was a chartreuse. Right. It was a thousand dollar euro. Well, a poor. I had met no joke. I had met this <laughs> Saudi Arabian <laughs> prince earlier in the day that like loved the dreadlocks skateboarding American Kenneth. Back when Kenneth back had when the I was dreadlocks, like, yeah. yeah. Back when I was that kid, uh-huh. and he took me to this some fucking bar like in between like Ale and uh, Marseille. 
So, like, Marseille had this nude beach, and I was like, you know, I was a lot younger. I'm like, I want to go to this nude beach, but there's a skate park there. It turned out, like, everyone at the nude beach was just, like, old and ugly, mm. but I was being positive. I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll see some dope skin and shit, mm-hmm. but there's a skate park, so, like, it, it, won't, like be, an it won't be a waste of a day. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> so, yeah. somewhere... Near the nude beach, I like I was getting like uh, one of those fucking sandwiches. It's just like it's on a baguette or a petite baguette. It's really just mayonnaise and a little bit of lettuce and a shitload of cured fish or like sardines or mm. like uh, sounds right up your alley. Like, yeah, they're like four bucks. I think it's and called the. They Kenneth. have them everywhere. Yeah, I they think have it's called them the Kenneth. everywhere in southern France. Yeah, uh, they renamed like, it. Is it Pan Bagnat? Is that what it is? I don't remember, what, dude. Bread? That sounds about right. Yeah. Like. Mm. So. It was like tasted great, but it gave you like the worst farts on the planet. Like, <laughs> it's just fine for a solo traveler. Like, <laughs> here we thought we didn't have a story to come out of booze news. <laughs> Saudi Arabian princes. Yeah, I forget the dude's name. I hope he's not the guy that Nude murdered, beaches. like murdered that journalist. But like, uh, we hung out all day at this bar right next to where I got that sandwich, and he wanted to go to this nightclub. It had a big old clock on the back of the bar. I think if with a little bit of research, if I had researched the story before we gathered together today, they had white chartreuse for a thousand dollar, like one thousand dollar or one thousand euro pour, and this guy like forked it out like it was nothing. He bought like eight people at the bar, wow, around like it was not eight thousand euro. Bro. Re- researching your own memories, I think, is called drinking. So we brought it full circle. But yeah, straight up lemon balm and a lot of anise. That's a great story. Eventually, we will have a bottle of white chartreuse or maybe a vial that we could share and talk about here on Liquid Gold. It'll happen. That's Now we have thinking. goals. We have winter goals. Thank you so much, Pat Halloran from Henrietta Red. This is amazing. Thank you for being here. All these amazing jello shots. Do follow that jello shot recipe of the Mexican Firing Squad and go see Pat at Henrietta Red and all the crew over there. It's an amazing crew over there. Crush and some oysters. Oysters. Talk seafood. Beer. To Pat Beautiful he's annoyed wines. with you. Beautiful wines and amazing cocktails. Um, so I'm also a notary public. So if you need something notarized, bring that down too. Yeah, right. No way. Oh man, kill two birds of one another, stone. Yet another service they provide <laughs> That'd be Henrietta great. Red. I'm going to go have a Negroni and get something notarized. Yeah. That's great. I have That's to a, go find... What do nice you notarize feature. these days? Stuff. Stuff. I don't know if I can yeah. answer that question. Leases. I don't it's know. just a stamp. Like <laughs> contracts. Our first notary public <laughs> right here on Liquid Gold. My name's Mike Wolf, along with my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Deadman. Kenneth. <laughs> we will see you next time. We are going to the movies, and we've got lots to talk about on future episodes of Shots, along with our buddy Pat Halloran, who will be back, and we will see you next time. Peace out.